Nya Zhong, and welcome to the Hmong Mental Health Podcast, where we encourage you to talk about mental health because it does exist in our community. We invite you to join us on this journey toward understanding and bettering our holistic well-being. We are your hosts from Vanguard Mental Health and Wellness Clinic. My name is Dr. Alyssa Ying Vang. I am Mozi Tao. I am Chu Her. And I'm Hua Vang. We want to take a moment to remind our listeners that this podcast does not replace professional help. So if you are struggling with your mental health, please find a provider who specializes in treating mental health symptoms so that you can receive the ongoing support you need. Hello, and welcome back to the Hmong Mental Health Podcast. We're happy you're joining us today. Okay, so I'm super excited to talk about today's topic because this is where we dive deeper into areas that give meaning to who we are as individuals. And so as I was preparing for this talk about knowing our worth, an element that I think is really important to self-healing, I thought about a movie that I recently saw with my husband. Now, my husband loves watching movies. Um, He can watch movies all day, and he's also a sports fanatic. So, of course, when Air came out, we had to go watch it. Have you guys seen the movie Air? Do you know what the movie Air is about? No idea. (laughs) I have not seen it. It's been on my list. Okay, okay. I have no idea what it's about. (laughs) Okay, so I'll I'll share with you. So, Air is um, a movie based on the origin of Air Jordan. So you guys know who Michael Jordan is, right? Um, And so he's a huge NBA player, one of the best NBA players. And so it's a story about how Air Jordan, the basketball shoe line from Nike came to be. And so when I was preparing for this talk, I thought about that because in the movie, there is a part where, oh, I'm going to spoil it for you, aren't I, Mosey? No, I know the story. Oh, you know the story. <laughs> okay. So so in, in the movie, and I don't know if this is how it plays out in real life, but in the movie, there's this part where, so Michael Jordan just got drafted at that time in 1984 for the NBA. Okay. And so Nike was struggling with their basketball shoe line. And so they were trying to figure out who they're going to pay to be their spokesperson for their basketball shoe line. And ultimately, they um, pick Michael Jordan. And so um, in all of the negotiation, they offer the $250,000. Adidas came back with a better offer, $250,000 and a Mercedes, which is what Michael Jordan wanted. And the mom comes back to the person who's trying to negotiate this deal and says, in addition to all of that, I would like Michael Jordan to also get a percentage of the revenue that's generated from the Michael Jordan air shoes. And and the guy's like, no, that's never been done before. We just don't do that. And so I really love this quote that she said, and she says, um, Every once in a while, someone comes along that's so extraordinary that it forces those reluctant to part with some of that will to do so. Ultimately, she just basically talks about knowing your worth. And she says, that person demands to be treated according to their worth and that they understand what they are worth. And she says, a shoe is just a shoe 
until Michael Jordan steps into it. And so that was like, wow, like that just blew my mind. And it just shifted the way that I thought about Mm self-worth. And it made me reflect on like who I am as a refugee person and thinking about the narrative that we've been told about we're a people without a country and we don't ruffle the feathers. We don't, you know, go against the grain. We really just are going to go along with it because we don't have a voice. We don't have a standing. And so growing up, there was a lot of question about my self-worth is like, okay, I'm not going to ask for more. Even if I know that I bring skills, even if I know that I bring uh, credibility, even if I know that I bring knowledge, but the self-worth is constantly a struggle. So I wanted to name that and see what you guys thought about that. Yeah, I think as you were sharing that, it resonated a lot with me because I think that is something I experienced too. And I think what I learned from the story or what is very, very interesting is the parenting style of that mom, Michael Jordan's mom, right? And when we talk about that refugee mindset, when we talk about all of that, we've been in this, when we talk about trauma from our last episode, we've been in this basic needs, we've been in this position where sometimes our self-worth isn't ever considered, right? We've been just so focused on surviving, we've been so focused on just making it, that we don't ever get to sit back and say, you know, maybe I am worth more than this shoe. And when I put my feet in it, I do add value. And it's amazing that his mother had the ability to step back and have that awareness. And it'd be interesting for us as we develop as our own people, 45 years into America, how are we able to do this for our own children? I think when you were sharing that story, I thought of Sunisa too, because oftentimes when we think of Sunisa, like I think of her parents too, and like supportive and loving they are Mm -hmm. in supporting her in her gymnastics career. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of her successes is because of the the worth that her parents saw in her, Mm. along with her own amazing (laughs) self-driven talent. But someone had to advocate for us, is what you're saying, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is that as a child in Sunisa Lee's um, situation and in Michael Jordan's situation, they probably didn't know what their worth was. But people like their parents understood and knew that and advocated for them and helped them, right? And so in many ways, perhaps in Sunisa Lee's situation and and of course, as demonstrated in this movie, uh, Michael Jordan's mom, they know their worth. They know their worth and they know the worth of their child. And they knew how to really advocate for what they're worth. So it's, it's, it's also that balance between how do you realistically assess your worth so that you're not overestimating your worth? And also, especially, you know, in this podcast talking about so that we're not underestimating our worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I'll, I mean, I, you know, when you were speaking about how earlier about like being refugee status, and I think, you know, all of that, like, I feel like a lot of people could relate to that, because I certainly related when you spoke about that piece about not ruffling feathers, mm-hmm. like not doing anything to create conflict or problem in our, 
in family specifically. So it makes me curious then, you know, like the Michael Jordan example, it's a very clear example of how the mom knew Michael's worth and advocated for him. And then it made me think like, how do our parents show us that we have value or worth? Mm. Makes me wonder about that in our community. Um, Cause I don't know, like, I don't feel like I could name it for myself. I don't know if you guys could name it like for yourself growing up, but I think like there was value that like I was told I have value, but like, I don't know if I could name how it was shown to me. Right. And I think that's, you know, the part of the refugee story and how we value it is through externalized factors like um, right, the bright price. So if you have a doctorate degree, you're considered highly valued and your worth is a lot more versus if you're a divorcee, your worth is not that much. I, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying that's the way that it's always been. And we had this conversation at the last podcast, right, about how how harmful that could be mm-hmm. to us as Hmong females is that our worth is determined at the time of our marriage. Our worth is determined by this prescribed role and how well we fulfill this prescribed role. And today we're really challenging that and we're saying we're our unique individual. We have our unique skills and talents and it would be great if our parents recognized that and broke out of our traditional roles that are expected of us and really just saw us for our natural talents. Mm-hmm. See, now I'm wondering, okay, like, if we weren't raised that way, do we now go and turn blame our parents? <laughs> no. <laughs> right? Just don't blame your because parents. Because <laughs> I, I, I can see that happening, right? Yeah. It's like, we're so like, okay, because of the trauma or because of, you know, my upbringing or why I'm this way, you know, I need to put the blame on someone. And obviously my parents don't love me the way I want to be loved. Mm. So... How do I hold them accountable? Because they never made me feel worthy or whatnot. Not saying that my parents do that, but like as an yeah. example of what if this conversation in turn mm. turns, you know, the listeners mm. to be like, okay, now I need to blame my parents because they weren't supportive of me wanting to be, uh, you know, Pokemon collector or me being like a K-pop idol or whatnot. You know what I'm right, saying? Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I would say don't don't blame your parents. <laughs> I mean, we always I think in therapy world or, you know, how how I was taught in my learning is that, um, you know, when we talk about your childhood or we talk about how things kind of led up to the way that they are, it's more of learning about your experience and understanding how you got there. Not so much like who's to blame for the reason you are the mm-hmm. way that you are. Cause at some point I think we have to kind of separate and differentiate too, that yes, they've impacted you, but you also at some point in your life, you get to make decisions mm-hmm. for yourself. Yeah. So I hope that clarifies that a little <laughs> bit more. <laughs> but the really good point, because mm-hmm. we don't want people to walk away uh, misunderstanding, right? This is that process and that self-awareness that we're really always emphasizing is that when you know the origin of which and where it came from, it increases that awareness. And hopefully it opens pathways for you to 
to make choices that are different instead of wallowing with blame and, you know, self-pity that you can say, okay, yes, this wasn't the best um, situation for me. And maybe my parents were not the best or my parents didn't know better because they too were also struggling with their own that I can have more compassion for what Mm -hmm. happened. And in turn, I can let go of some of these things and then make different choices or shift that perspective or learn something different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think like, like Dr. Alyssa said earlier, I think that even if, you know, for my example, like, I don't know if I could name that I feel like my parents showed my, showed to me that I have value. I think that I'm in a place now where I understand that I have value, Mm. right? Where um, if I'm doing something, I'm doing it because I'm intentional about doing it. And I want to invest my time and energy into it because my time is valuable to me. Yeah. Yeah, so you can break out of your cycle. (laughs) (laughs) So this is why we're going to be focused on self-worth, just to think about how it impacts the way that we live our lives and the way that we behave. Before we dig into this topic more, let's talk a a little bit about self-worth and what it is. What is self-worth? I think for me, when I think about self-worth, it's it's about the value I place on myself, right? The value I place on my well-being, my behavior, the things I do, and the things I'm capable of in hope of other people being able to identify and know those things too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think to add on to that, I think about, um, you know, that value of myself and Am I deserving of love? Am I deserving of consideration and respect in that sense as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree with what you guys said as well because I think self-worth for me when I think about it, um, like while well, you said it derives from a place of my sense of how I how much I like myself and how lovable do I feel that I am. And then how that translate into how I value myself, right? And how I interact with people and how they might respond to me. And then, again, that's another layer, right? Mm-hmm, that happens mm-hmm. where I wonder then, okay, this is how I value myself. This is how people might see me. And so then that tends to impact the way that we see our self-worth. Yeah, and Chu, you said something that I want to highlight. You said self-worth is how lovable am I, right? Mm-hmm. And then that dictates how I value myself. And so what we're really saying is that self-worth is also a belief mm-hmm. about who we are, right? It's not, it might start with a thought, but then it transforms into a belief of who we are, what our worth is to ourselves, and maybe to the people around us. Mm-hmm. And so then I wonder, how is self-worth determined? And I think that's really interesting because the idea of like for Ben Mona, yeah, how we come up with our self-worth, right? When you think about birth order, mm-hmm. right? When you think about the law versus the Tunza from a man's perspective, or when you think about um, as a woman who marries into a family, 
Yotunya, what is your self-worth, right? And as a Tunza myself, it's like my self-worth was really determined by this idea of one day I'm going to take care of my parents, right? Or or the idea that I don't have as much power as the oldest brother because his worth is value more because he's the firstborn son, mm-hmm. right? So I think in, in our Hmong community, we have a sense of it but it's not an individualistic look. Mm -hmm. Like it's embedded within relationships and within prescribed roles. Right. I also see it as the identities we hold, right? So as Mozi, you were saying about being the Tula or the Tunza, like I think of, or like a Nya, right? Or even holding that motherhood role, like these identities that we take on, whether it's the roles we hold in a sense, speaks to you know our worth right so when i think of um worthiness or what i say and so oftentimes mothers they feel like to their kids if you know they're they're able to provide for their children or they feel like a good housewife when they can provide for their husband or if they're a good and so they hold these roles and identities that in a sense you know adds to their self-worth Mm-hmm. I think self-worth looks very externalized in our community, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know you have value or you feel like you have value when you hear someone praise you, right? Mm-hmm. When you feel like people are complimenting you. Um, so I think it's very externalized in that way where oftentimes our members look for external validation mm-hmm. yes. in order to feel like they have self-worth mm-hmm. in our community. Yes. And when we look at the information that's out there and literature that's out there, it oftentimes it's built from those external factors. Mm -hmm. Our core beliefs and our values are often driven and influenced by how people respond to us. Mm -hmm. And so if you have physical features, that is nothing of your doing, but it's just genetic advantage and people praise you for that, there is a certain level of Mm self-worth. If you're their son versus a daughter, automatically there is that sense of external validation of your worth. Mm -hmm. How do we integrate this internal validation of worth? Because I think that's where the struggles become harder. And so let's say you're the oldest son, you're born into this family and you're automatically valued, but then you don't meet the prescribed roles of being the oldest son because you either never married or you married a wife who is saying, I'm not going to take on that responsibility. Um, Or let's say you're just not a natural leader and you would rather just live your own quiet life. And that's just one example, right? Because we hear a lot of that from our young adults is that they're actually wrestling with what they want to do and the expectations of them. And so then their sense of self-worth diminishes because of the externalized feedback. So how can we help people talk through that? Because that's really why we're doing this, right? It's it's these changing roles. Right. And I think the, the biggest challenge in, in what you're saying there, I think, Dr. Alyssa, is that when we talk about self-worth from an individualist perspective, what is our magical equation that we come up with to get to the point to have value for ourselves? 
do we prescribe to the traditional Hmong definitions of what self-worth, right? Do we say that as a son, my job is to do X, Y, and Z, and I must go marry this perfect Hmong daughter to bring her in to be a good nya, right? And as a man, for me, is like, then is my worth equated to how well I am as itutsiche or a breadwinner or the value in which I work and things like that. And I think that's the challenge when we talk about self-worth because a lot of times when we look at those external factors, when we think about them, how how often or how well do we bring them internally to say, yes, I agree with those and that's how I value myself. I think the big challenge we we ask ourselves in this process as we talk about self-worth and as we look through this is like, what is that equation? How do we determine it? And and you touched on core beliefs and values, right? When we have certain beliefs and values, which takes the externalized to the internalized, and within a bicultural framework, if we're grappling with the traditional expectations of us and our own independence, our own um, efforts to find ourselves within the Western society, it goes back to how do we think through our core values and our beliefs and how do we reconcile with that? Because oftentimes what we believe also helps shape our sense of self-worth. So in your example, Mosey, if you are the eldest son, but you've navigated through and worked through your own core beliefs and values and have come to determine that being the eldest son is not my only identity, right? While you were talking about identity, and that is just one of them. And that to me is not the most important. The most important is a spouse. The most important is a father. Then it shifts your values and your beliefs. And then in turn, it shifts the way that you determine your value, and it shifts the way that you show up. Yeah, I think it's it's a complex process, right, to think mm-hmm. about external validation and then internal validation. Because if it's internal validation, it's work that you're doing for yourself, by yourself only. And a lot of times yeah. external validation is coming from community, which we get a lot of that, I think, yeah. whether or not it's wanted in our community. Um, so I think, you know, part of that coming together for an individual when they think about self-worth is also thinking like, this is what somebody is saying. Um, and it's like, well, you said, how do I make sense of it for myself? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, is there value in what they're saying and does it add value to me as well? Mm -hmm. And I think that if it feels more like it's coming from a place of judgment, it's important that we recognize also to work through the judgment versus taking on on as now this judgment is becoming part of my identity as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes me think about how we are our own worst critic, where mm-hmm. our inner critic is always telling us negative things. And so sometimes we don't even believe the internal things that we tell mm-hmm. ourselves. And so it makes it's like a push and pull. It's very challenging of, okay, like if I tell myself these positive things, yet another part of me is like, you're not good enough. Then I think I see where that's cha- challenge of, oh, how do I value myself in a sense if I already don't believe or I'm already having negative thoughts about myself and things like that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So 
what you just said highlights the challenge, of course, in self-worth because it's it's multifactored. It's not just what we hear from other people. It's also what we've internalized from what we've heard from other people and what we're trying to push through. And I hope that by the end of this podcast, listeners will have some understanding of how to navigate or work through that conflicting thought. Because the I'm not good enough is definitely that narrative that is driven from lower self-worth, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's a negative narrative that just keeps holding us back. And if we can provide some recommendations to help our listeners to say, oh, I, I need to shift the way that I think about things. I need to think things through differently so that I can reframe that narrative. And, and so I think that that notion of I'm not good enough, if we were to even go at a deeper level, and this is so big for our home community, is the word shame. Because shame comes hand in hand with being not good enough, comes hand in hand with expectations of us as a Hmong individual. And so when we don't meet that, we start to feel like we're not good enough. And then we start to feel ashamed. And then we start to withdraw. And then it just goes down this this other dark hole of feeling sorry for ourselves. So so let's talk a little bit about shame, especially in the Hmong culture. So shame, we call it and so this this loss of face is also very much goes hand in hand with shame. What are your thoughts on shame and its role in self-worth? I don't think that it adds to our self-worth, but I see that it, mm-hmm. I, I could see it impacting our self-worth in a way that it doesn't help us feel good about ourselves, right? So I think that, you know, sometimes shame is more so used as a tool to conform in some ways, right? In our Hmong culture. Mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. our Hmong culture, um, rather than it is something that elevates our self-esteem. Um, yeah, because I think we're just so, I think our community is, you know, now it's a little bit different, but I think that we're so used to things just being the same, right? Um, and how to people please each mm-hmm. other that I think... Again, it doesn't come back to that individual level of thinking like, what do you want for yourself? What do you, where do you see your value in yourself and how do you want to spend that energy, right? I don't think it, we do a lot of that. Um, So I don't think that it adds to our self-worth, but I think that maybe it causes us to conform in some ways um, where it actually impacts our our self-worth to be lower, like you said. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I appreciate you clarifying that because then shame, it's so much a part of our Hmong culture to whip us into shape, to get back in line, right? Don't, don't get out of order. And so, but the internalized experience is that I'm, I'm doing something that's not well received. I'm doing something that the, the community does not approve of, and therefore I must not be good enough. And I think that's my struggle when we connect shame and self-worth. And in a perfect world, from a very psychological perspective, shame should have no effect on our self-worth, right? But then in our constant 
re-evaluation of our self-worth, especially in our own community, because we can be so negative and we can be so conscious of shame. And we can be, especially in the in those families where you're a little bit more traditional, you're a little bit more older, like what? You don't ruin the interpretation of the family name or anything like that. That we are so afraid of that shame and how it could impact our self-worth that it almost has a chicken or egg relationship. What came first? When I think about the Hmong community, it is, it's always so sad when we talk about shame because there's just so much of this negative relationship that truly at the end of the day that we do value our worth based on shame, mm-hmm. right? Um, whether it is a good nya, whether it is a good mother, a good father, whether it is being a good leader or a good brother, it's like we we work so hard at trying to be the best version for everybody else in this collective society that we live on that our worth, a lot of times, it's not even self-worth, but it's like the worth in which people look at us. And therefore, we internalize that into our own self-worth. And um, it's kind of sad when we think about it and we put it in that context. I wonder, like, what, you know, as you're talking about that, Mosey, and then I started thinking, like, well, what function does shame play in our community, mm-hmm. right? And I think it is, like, a lot of what we said, it's to keep us in line, and then I think more about, well, if we were to take that further, though, is it to keep us in line for our own purposes or for someone else's purposes, right? And I think that that's where maybe it gets, it starts to get confusing, right? Because then now I'm basing my self-worth based on what you think is worthy versus mm-hmm. what I think is worthy for myself. Yeah, so true, as you're saying that, it makes me think a lot about what our young folks are struggling with today. You know, what I've struggled with a lot of my life is how do I find the things that I want to do for myself, yet I'm also trying, you know, challenged or struggling to also do what, you know, my parents want, right? That balance of, okay, how do I still bring honor and you know, not make my parents lose face and, you know, be a good daughter while also doing the things I want, right? And it's always this, like, balance or it always feels like a pendulum swinging. Like, okay, I'm going to do this for myself because this is what I want. And then a part of me is like, no, actually, I feel the need to do this because, you know, a part of my value has become to make my parents feel proud and things like that. And I will give all of you women credit. I don't know how you guys ever deal with becoming a nya. The idea that you get married, you're leaving your family, you're going joining this family, and your mother-in-law dictates all the things in which your self-worth is. She gets to decide if you're a good nya. She gets to decide if you're a good mom. She gets to decide if your cooking is good enough. She gets to decide if you clean well enough, right? And this isn't someone who taught you. This is someone who you picked up life with, right? Halfway through your life or at some point. And um, your husband at some point probably wasn't helpful, right? Because he wasn't taught those things. (laughs) He didn't know everything about how mom or mother-in-law likes things. And then it's like, wow, the shame in which Hmong women goes through in terms of becoming a yao. Becoming a nyaga and married, and it's just like, 
when we talk about self-worth, it's like, wow, that's, that's a lot. And, and I think it even starts before that, Mosey, just as a Hmong daughter myself, this notion of self-worth is also linked to this idea of belongingness. Mm. Mm. And so as a Hmong daughter, it, it was often very offensive to me when my mo- mother would say, to say, you only borrowed my womb, you don't belong to me. Mm. And then when I go and get married, then it's like, and I remember thinking, like, it just really jolted me out of my reality, because I thought that I was part of a loving family. I thought I was a very well-loved daughter, until the point that I was going to cross over into a different family. And then my parents thought of me as, and and then I, I really didn't feel like I belonged, because we have a side, so self-worth, there is that belongingness. That's why if, if, you know, at any kind of party, if there's a lot of people that come, it's a sense of pride, the mm-hmm. sense of self-worth, because I mean something to my people. I mean something to my family, and that's why they come. I belong to this group. Therefore, my self-worth, that externalized factor, Mm -hmm. is validated, right? So that externalized self-worth is not only isolated to praises, it's also through support. People show up at a funeral. That means the person who died is very worthy. Of course, this is different now with present times and post-COVID, but the Hmong people really looked at at those externalized factors as validating their worth and their place in society. And and I love that you bring up the wedding part, right, as well as the funeral part, right? Because in that wedding sense, when we talk about pityo, mm-hmm. the worth of a daughter is put on kongreta hao or pityo, a family gets back. And that's pretty sad. Right or or when we talk about a funeral, chanduk uh, is received at a funeral. It's like oh, a that means that right? And then it's like all of a sudden it's like, wait, so am I less worthy or is that person less worthy because of that external factor of how people showed out or how the community supports or or if you are a female and siala. So you, your husband has passed on or you're a divorcee, your self-worth becomes diminished because now we don't have that male figure to elevate our sense of worth. And I think that's a whole topic in itself, um, you know, not to male bash or to bash on the patriarchal practices of our Hmong culture, but that is really real for women, mm-hmm. for Hmong women that their self-worth is linked to their male counterparts, whether it's their father, their husband, or their son. So I'm going to move us along because that is very depressing when we start talking about that. And so let's shift it a little bit and focus on what makes us feel worthy. Self-worth, I think, um, is created from like a time when you are very young, right? So I'm thinking early, early childhood years where 
you're spending time with your caregivers and your caregivers are making time for you. I think that's where it really develops Mm -hmm. and the sense of, wow, I matter. I'm important. People are spending time with me. They see me, they acknowledge me, they know me. And so I think that when you're really young, like we're talking five and below years old, that's where it really develops. And then I think that over time, as you grow, um, depending on how things shift in your life, that's when self-worth can kind of also transform. But I think that if early on in your years you were provided with, I think, again, coming with like positive attachment, really thinking about family dynamics where parents are as involved as they could be and can be as supportive as they are able to be, um, a child would feel very much so that I'm worthy, like people value me, I matter in this dynamic. Um, and hopefully that will carry on in their later years as well. So I guess if we're thinking now, like I'm older, right? What if I didn't have that when I was younger? <laughs> and then I just thought about that. Um, but I think that maybe as you grow older and if you don't have that, um, I think I really wonder about how do you surround yourself with people who make time for you? Yeah. Right. That's a way to kind of work on that where you know your value because of the people around mm-hmm. you if if you need more of that external validation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think from internally being able to be your own cheerleader mm-hmm. in the way of like, hey, if you're really struggling or you feel like you're not enough, know that you are. So being taught how to kind of undo some of those messages when you were younger, mm-hmm. when we think a lot about like our inner child, how do we yeah. help make sense of some of those wounds? And I, I love those suggestions. And I wonder before we go into that, I wonder if we could talk about the red flags. How do we know that we're struggling? How does it show up? Because sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we just have those internalized narratives like I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Have you ever heard of that, right? A a family without a father and they want to do things. And the mom's internalized narrative is we don't have a dad anymore. Therefore, the world will look at us with lower value. Therefore, we cannot do that. And I don't know if people catch that. I don't know if you go and ask someone who has that narrative of the example I just gave and says, And they might, they might say, oh, I didn't realize that. Or they might say, Do they then just add on to that narrative? in this really self-deprecating voice that I'm only going to take crumbs because I'm not worthy. And I think that's a great question when we talk about what you just said there, Dr. Lissa, along with red flags, and is the concept of self-awareness, right? When we talk about our self-worth, do we properly look at ourselves? with the proper awareness, right? Are we saying that because I am handicapped, because I have a starting position that is further back than others because I don't have a father, do we have the awareness to truly ask ourselves, how does that impact our self-worth, right? 
And is it truly that black and white to say, well, because I don't have a dad or I didn't have the model of having a father figure to teach me how to be a father, I can't do it myself, right? Because a lot of times when we talk about that trauma or we talk about um, folks who grow up with an abusive parents or not having a father around, a lot of times there are different two ways people can react to it, right? Someone can say, you know, I don't have a father. I can fill the whole other holes other ways and I can find positive role models and therefore my self-worth, I can figure that out and I can reevaluate and say, you know, I could be a child who doesn't have a father, but my self-worth isn't true tied to me being an orphan without a dad or a parent, right? My self-worth may be tied into other things, right? We are such so complex human beings that our self-worth isn't this magical formula where it's A, B, C, and D. Everybody's formula for self-worth can be different. And I wonder when we talk about awareness and red flags, right? The more awareness we have of ourselves in a red flags, potentially, you know, we can have a better understanding of what of what are our self-worth, right? And it's really thinking about that awareness to say, you know, so-and-so can look at themselves and they're a great A student and they're really, really worthy, but maybe I'm not them. Maybe there's something else I'm great at and maybe that other greatness I have can give me that self-worth. And, and going to choose point, a lot of the times it comes back with this idea of having the people around you to make you feel love, mm-hmm. right? To have that unconditional love and support that people encourage you and kind of help you to understand that there's a lot of ways to evaluate and to help yourself look at who you are and how to develop that self-worth. No, I love that. I love that. And I think you both are naturally moving into sort of what are some things that we we can do to value ourselves after we recognize that our sense of worth has affected various parts of our lives, right? Because when we have a low sense of self-worth, it does affect our relationships. It does affect the way that we show up. When we talk about self-worth, I think it goes hand in hand with confidence. So if you show up uncertain of yourself, it's because you don't feel that you belong in that space. It's because you feel that your voice does not matter. It's because you feel that what you have to say is not important. All of that gets traced down to low self-worth or you compromise your well-being in relationships where you settle for a partner who is always undervaluing your contribution, who is also always undermining your uh, worth, but you feel like that's all that you can get and that's good enough. Going back to just our behaviors, even though the interactions we have with people are hurtful to us, we keep going at it. We keep trying until we exhaust ourselves because we want them to see us for who we are, but we don't see ourselves for who we are. So we keep going to the wrong people to seek for that validation, to seek for that approval. So it's these negative behaviors that we engage in that might be cyclical or pattern-like 
And if we're not aware, like what Mosey, you're saying, if we don't practice that self-awareness and how hurtful it is to us, and then we don't work on improving our self-worth, that will never change. And we'll keep doing this for our whole lifetime. And so what both of you said, Chu and Mosey, about how to work through that once we're aware of it, exposing ourselves to people who are positive, who makes us feel good about who we are, or choosing things that we're good at, because it can't be that we're not good at anything. But I can guarantee you that if you're not good at sports, but because your dad was very athletic, you know, like, you know, and you're, you want to do that, you're going to constantly feel bad about yourself because you're not going to measure up. And it's not your strength. But if you recognize that that's my dad, right? Uh, my strength is in singing, let's say, and you surround yourself with a group that acknowledges you and validates you for that strength, you start to feel good about who you are. And you start to have a, a different sense of worth. And, and what you said in regards to that soccer dad and the, the person who's a singer instead of an athlete, it, it makes me think about the way the way we parent, right? And it almost makes me wonder if sometimes a lot of our Hmong brothers and sisters have this low sense of self-worth because they were never encouraged, right? And that kind of tying that shame back into it. Like, you know, that, that father who was like, who was expecting his son to be just as good as him. He completely misses the boat and the opportunity to increase his son's self-worth and his self-confidence by saying, wow, you're a great singer. Let's get you into singing. Right? But a lot of times what we see in the community is that father is so stuck on the idea that he's going to raise the next Hmong superstar soccer that he's so hard on his son that his son starts losing confidence and his self-worth is impacted. And, and it makes me think about in our Hmong community, as we, we raise our children and the way we grew up, how often do we get to celebrate ourselves? How often do our parents celebrate our small accomplishments? And I think we've mentioned before the idea of celebrating birthdays, right? And and when we get to slow things down and we, as we become more privileged in, in America today and throughout the world, like how do we how do we get people, our young individuals, to develop a stronger sense of self by empowering them? And from that perspective, I can value my worth, I can be great, I can have the confidence, but at the same time, I can still bring honor to my family. I can still bring a sense of pride to my father, my mother, my family, right? And I think that's where, in the last few years, we've seen within our own community that it's not doctors and just doctors and lawyers in our community anymore, and our kids are growing up to be gymnasts and beauty pageants and actors and actresses and it's amazing to see because it seems like that self-worth concept is growing i i love what you just said so much mosey because what it reminds me of is that times are different now 
-hmm. Times are different now where we are not functioning from this place of scarcity and limited options. That you can choose to be anything you want and still find some level of success. And so we're shifting that a lot more. It doesn't have to be in the form of a doctorate degree. And I, I think that it's important to highlight that because we didn't have that opportunity years ago. The only way to get that status is to be one, two, or three. And now it's like, if you live your life with intention and with good purpose, it doesn't matter what you choose, that you can make an impact. And it doesn't matter if you're a son or a daughter, you can make an impact. And so I think that's just really cool as we're talking about self-worth, right? Is to open our mind and our thinking to say, as long as you do it with integrity, with passion, with conviction, and with purpose, you'll, you know, you'll be acknowledged for your contributions. I agree. I'm still grappling on this question, though, of how do we interrupt it? Like, how do I, as an individual, interrupt it in the sense that I've been socially conditioned, meaning everyone around me, society is telling me how to look like, how to act, what to do, be a doctor or a lawyer, this and that. But how do I make myself aware and interrupt that, hey, this isn't the only path for me? Because everything in life is always easier said than done. <laughs> but I'm still grappling, like, what is that magical equation of how do I interrupt this and recognize that, okay, this isn't okay with me? And what can I do to change so that I can support myself in building my self-worth, building my happiness and whatnot? I think it starts with permission. Mm. We have to have permission to think outside of the way that we've always thought. Whether it's permission from ourselves, permission from our family, permission from society, permission from conversations like this, where we can say, if you're listening to this podcast, you are permitted to think outside the box, to find your own meaning and purpose in life. Because once we permit ourselves to think more outside of that line of thinking, then it just plants those seeds mm. for inviting new ways of thinking and new ways of being. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that story about how to change our narrative, how to reframe the way that we think about things. So this reminds me of a story about father and a daughter, and uh, the father giving this daughter this car, this pretty old beat-up car. And uh, the, the dad says, well, you know, it's a pretty old car. Why don't you take it to the used car lot and tell me how much they're going to buy it for? So the daughter goes to the used car lot, comes back and says, well, they offered me $1,000 because they said that it looks pretty worn out. And so the dad says, well, okay, why don't you take it to the pawn shop and see how much they're going to give it to you? And the, the daughter takes the car to the pawn shop and comes back and says, well, the pawn shop offered me only $100 because it's a really old car. And then the, the dad asks the daughter to go to a car club and show the car to them and see what they say about the value of the car. And so the daughter comes back and says, some people in the car club offered $100,000 for it because it's 
a really nice car. It's a classic and iconic car and sought by many collectors. And so the father says to the daughter, uh, the right place values you the right way. If you're not valued, don't be angry. It just means that you're in the wrong place. Those who know your value are those who appreciate you. Never stay in a place where no one sees your value. And so I think that, Hua, your question really reminds me of this because if you can somehow plant this idea into someone's mind, then automatically it gives them a different framework from which to operate from. And it gives them that permission to say, oh, I've been looking at this very differently. If I can do this mind shift, this cognitive reframe, maybe it might help me to see myself differently. This information, though, applies to people who are not struggling with clinical symptoms, because this is completely different if we're talking about someone who's struggling with depression, with anxiety, with very severe symptoms. But if they're not, then this might be a way to get past that. I would imagine that other listeners are also wondering, that's fine and dandy what you guys are saying, but realistically, like how do I get there if I'm still here? Mm-hmm. Because that's what I get all the time when I listen to podcasts or um, trainings. And I'm like, that's great. But what's the practical question? Mm-hmm. Like, if I can't even like work through my own narrative, how can I move to that next level that you're talking about? That's so great. Mm-hmm. Because we know that low self-worth has really deep roots. And that's what you're really suggesting to is how do we get to those deep roots? How do we dig to those uh, uh, deep roots? I think for me, um, it really comes down to the idea that evaluating where you are, who you are, how you approach life. When we talk about um, the social constructs of the things we've taken in to have that magical formula of how you evaluate yourself and your self-worth, um, I just really want people to think about like, how does my self-worth impact my everyday efforts to live my best life? Yes, and I I think um, even taking it beyond what you've just said, because what you've just said is really important to everyday people, but if they're not careful and don't recognize how they're sense of worth impacts their everyday life, it could start to affect their mental health to where there's um, negative coping mechanisms, eating disorders, uh, suicidal thinking, anxiety and depression. Whereas when you think about the benefits, right, the benefits of um, knowing your self-worth, people who know their self-worth, what, what do you guys see different how do you know that this person has a positive, grounded sense of worth? How do they show up differently? How do they engage with people differently? How do they problem solve differently? How do they advocate for themselves differently? For me, I see that when people have a higher sense of self-worth, they are able to say no more easily than 
go with the flow or be passive aggressive like they might not want to do it but still do it anyhow right mm-hmm. um because they just they're confident in that they know what they want and where and where they want to spend their energy um i also think that you know it's just much easier to advocate for themselves because they have a better understanding of themselves right so this might this can show up you know at school it can show up in you know personal life it can show up professionally right where they acknowledge that you know this is kind of where i'm at and even though i might have and this is even speaking on like things that maybe they might not love about themselves they're able to speak on it and say hey, this is where I need a little bit more support on, right? So I feel like they don't shy away or they don't feel shameful for lacking in some areas where they still need to practice or grow. Um, So I think that that's, you know, those are the benefits or those are the things that comes with having a higher self-worth. Yeah, that's a really good example of having good boundaries. Mm -hmm. Knowing when someone is pushing too far, taking advantage of them, um, or just knowing that this is something that I cannot take on at this point. And saying no does not mean I'm going to be undervalued. Saying no just means that I'm clearly communicating to you what my capacity is at this point. And then it becomes a two-way relationship. If I say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not able to do it because I've got too much on my plate, then the receiver of that information has to also be grounded in their self-worth to not see that as a rejection and to see it at face value. Because if the receiver has a low sense of worth, they're going to walk away thinking, why that person, why did they say no to me? Is it because I'm not an important person or they might walk away harboring some bitterness not seeing it at face value. And so you need to have really good sense of worth on on both ends in order to have a healthy conversation about it. Mm -hmm. I think other benefits include, you know, just having more positive relationships, whether that's with friends, family, with your partner, um, having a positive outlook on life and being more open-minded in a sense where you're open to growth, not fearful of feedback mm-hmm. and in the sense that, oh, like if I receive feedback, it doesn't mean that I'm any less worthy or anything mm-hmm. like that, but I'm open to growing and learning. Yeah, I think for me, it is the idea of, you know, people with uh higher sense of self-worth you know a lot of times they're just unapologetically themselves without hurting other people they move in a way they talk in a way where you know it's okay for them to just be present be themselves be in a be in a place where the acknowledgement and validation they don't seek mm-hmm. well and and i think that um having a positive sense of self-worth with all of what you said, you know, to receive feedback and not let that uh, tear us down, but to really inspire us to even grow and step into that new space of learning and being, or to be unapologetically who we are, or to say no, when it doesn't align with what where we're headed with what we're doing. All of that doesn't mean that 
uh, that everything is positive and peachy, right? And I know you you guys get that, but I want to name it that having positive self-worth does not mean not having any shortcomings. Mm-hmm. But but it means we embrace who we are with our strengths and with our shortcomings. And it doesn't take away from our worth. And when we have feedback about how we've heard others, about how we've shown up that isn't so positive, a person with good self-worth would say, I'm sorry, I wasn't aware of it, or they're somehow able to accept that feedback and then commit to showing up differently. And that's the ideal goal here is how do we continue to learn from how we show up that isn't always positive to other people, if indeed it's our doing? And how do we step away from people that says we continue to hurt them when indeed we haven't done anything intentional to hurt them? And a person with positive self-worth is someone who can evaluate that and remove themselves when necessary and apologize and change when necessary instead of just taking one approach to every interaction, right? It's that ability to flex and assess appropriately and then respond appropriately and lovingly as well. Okay, so the last question that I'm going to ask us, what are some strategies that we can provide for others to improve their self-worth? I think we spoke a lot on it today too, like throughout our podcast, um, which is surrounding ourselves with people who recognize our worth. Um, I think that's a good place to start, especially if you do not have anybody like that in your life. Um, So surrounding yourself with people who know your worth and people who can cheerlead you on. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I think about how like, you know, going back to how you're your own worst critic when you don't even believe your own self-worth. It's when you're surrounded by those people that you love and care about and you trust them and to hear them. It's balancing between that what do I think versus what is logical and rational to like if everyone around me is telling me that, you know, I'm a caring person, but I don't believe I'm a caring person to also believe them for what they say too because not everyone in the world is going to lie to me that I'm a caring person. Mm-hmm. I think for me the other thing or the thing to do is self-love. Um we talk about that phrase who you the king y'all. The more and more you can love yourself, be grateful for the things you have, be grateful for the people around you, loving yourself to give yourself time, be present love yourself enough to put the right people around yourself. I think after a while, when you love yourself and you're constantly putting yourself first, I think that self-worth can come in play in terms where you truly get to know yourself. And I think if we could just be less mean, be less critics of ourselves, and be more positive, I think that self-love goes a long way in developing our self-worth. I'll add one last thing, which I think is also really important, is that, you know, self-worth, as Chu mentioned earlier, comes from a long history that's gone back to when we were children with that attachment. 
self-worth comes from um, how we work through our traumas. And so with that, it's important for us to build self-worth in our children because we have to change that pattern. And the way that we can do that is to relate differently to our children. Um, Again, the origins of low self-worth are traced back to those behaviors of the adults in their childhood, even if those behaviors were well-meaning. So it's important to actively work toward building that self-esteem in in their childhood. And then lastly, I, I think that these tips are really good for those who are able to manage them on their own. But sometimes as much as we want to be able to manage this on our own and use these tips that we've provided, sometimes it's hard to do so if you're struggling with a lot of different things. And so to truly move forward, it's really important for someone to seek professional support as well too, because with a professional mental health provider, not only will you be in a safe space to work through a lot of the challenges, a lot of the barriers to working through your self-worth, but that provider will also help you to learn new ways of relating and being and also to integrate how you can practice new ways of existing. And in so doing, with that type of support, the person will begin to recognize a new sense of purpose and a new, more positive sense of self-worth. So I hope that this podcast has helped you to reflect on some of the things that you are doing well and some of the things that might impact how you're moving through life. I hope that you surround yourself with people who value you and get who you are and that may you know your self-worth as you continue on this self-healing journey. Please take care and we will see you next time.